I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you decided to listen in this week. Hey, I'm excited to have in segments two and three of today's program, Mr. John Rabino joining me once again. Uh, John is a prolific author and commentator. His website is dollarcollapse.com, and he's got a terrific segment on there that has links to a lot of economic and investing news. I go there frequently uh, to get my news as well. Uh, I'll get John's take on the Fed's taper announcement, and we'll talk to him about the labor shortage as well in the second and third segments of today's program. Hey, if you've not yet requested your complimentary copy of my best-selling book from last year titled Revenue Sourcing, let me invite you to get it. All you have to do to get a copy of the book is go to myrevenuesourcingbook.com, and I'll be very glad to get you a complimentary copy of the book, as well as some bonus information. Again, myrevenuesourcingbook.com is the website. So the Federal Reserve, as I'll chat about in the next segment with my special guest today, announced that they will be tapering. Well, if you don't know what tapering means, up to this point, the Federal Reserve, a private group of bankers that control U.S. monetary policy, has been creating currency to the tune of about $120 billion a month. Now, the Fed doesn't use those terms. What they say is they're engaging in a program of bond purchases or they're doing a program of quantitative easing. But the Fed, when they purchase bonds, they create money to make the purchase. They don't really produce anything. So the Fed has now said they're going to create money at a slower pace than they have been. That's all a taper means. They announced they're going to Uh, taper by $15 billion per month starting this month, although interest rates are going to remain unchanged. Interest rates are going to stay near 0%, and I'll talk about why that is in just a moment. Now, the Fed's taper announcement was really tempered with the Fed saying that, you know, we're going to taper... We're going to do that to the tune of $15 per month, but we're going to continue to monitor the situation, and if needed, we're going to make necessary adjustments. Now, that said, I'd like to make a prediction. I expect that at the first sign of market distress, the Fed will reverse course and make the adjustments they stated were possible in their taper announcement, and they will continue currency creation at a very high level. Now, certainly we are seeing inflation. And this past week, I read an article that I talked about on my Headline Roundup webinar uh, last Monday. The title of the article is, Is the World About to be Weimar? An obvious reference to the hyperinflation of Weimar Germany after World War I. The article did a terrific job of pointing out the stages in the inflationary cycle. And I thought I'd share it with you in this segment with the idea that if you understand the stages, you can take actions to potentially protect yourself. Now, the first stage 
in this, what we'll call the inflationary death spiral, is the development of an attitude among the ruling class that deficits don't matter. Well, here we are at stage one. We have proponents of modern monetary theory saying that deficits don't matter. Stadiums cannot run out of points, so governments cannot run out of money. And the reality, reality is this attitudinal change, from my perspective, is really required. I mean, the reality is that if deficits do matter, and you openly state that deficits do matter, then you have to do something about them. By many accounts, you would have to cut government spending by nearly 50% to get back to a balanced budget. Can you imagine the amount of pain and public suffering and sacrifice that would happen if the federal government slashed its budget by 50% in order to balance it? Incidentally, That would cure the inflation problem, but a deflationary collapse, in my view, would ensue. So if you're not going to balance the budget, then you have to adopt the opinion, at least publicly, that deficits don't matter. Now, I want to give you just a bit from this article that was well done. And if you go to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and you look at the Headline Roundup webinar uh, from last Monday, you'll see a link to this article. This scenario, according to the author of the article, is typical as to how well-meaning governments end up causing depressions and high inflations. Starting out in a benign commodity cycle, where the monetary inflation does not directly translate into consumer price inflation, governments reach the absurd but very convenient conclusion that deficits don't matter. Now let me dig down on that just a little bit. Because using the term monetary inflation here is simply referring to more currency. You're inflating the currency supply, you're inflating the money supply. And even though you're doing that, you don't get significant consumer price inflation. That's really what happened from 2011 after the financial crisis all the way through to 2019. That's stage one. It appears that you can create currency And the only asset classes that are affected are stocks and real estate, and everybody loves a bull market in stocks and real estate. But then eventually you have to enter stage two. That's the payback time. The article author says when the payback time arrives, and it always does without exceptions, the monetary stimulus has the effect of pushing on the strings from a growth perspective. The higher deficits translate into consumer price inflation while growth seems to falter. Are we there yet? I think we're entering this stage. The currency weakens, there are greater trade deficits, and the recessions and consumer price inflation both worsen. You get stagflation. 
Well, as evidence of this, the U.S. just recorded the largest trade deficit in history. According to United Press International, and this is from November 4, the U.S. trade deficit reached an all-time high of nearly $81 billion in September. Trade deficits, from an economic perspective, are really devastating. And we have the largest trade deficit ever, largely because we're importing a lot more energy than just a year ago. And even when we use the Consumer Price Index, which, as we've discussed on this program, has its flaws when it comes to measuring inflation, certainly it has the effect of reporting an inflation rate that's far less than the actual inflation rate. But even using the Consumer Price Index, we are seeing inflation at levels not seen in years, and economic growth is slowing. Now, the next stage of this inflationary death spiral is that interest rates will have to go up. And I'll talk about this in segment three with my special guest today, Mr. John Rubino. If you're just joining me, Mr. John Rubino will join me on segments two and three of today's program. But just assuming that we have an inflation rate of 5%, let's say that the Fed manages to get rates up to a really low number. Let's say they get up to 1%. That would still leave real interest rates in the negative because of the inflation rate, but this 1% interest rate would likely deliver a devastating blow to both the housing and bond and stock hyperbubble markets that we are not going to be able to recover from, in my view. Now, if that were to happen, if you see these bubbles deflate, what will the government do? Well, it'll set off a chain reaction of a recession, and the government stepping in with a big stimulus, which would be funded through even more currency creation, which would lead to even higher inflation, as measured by the CPI or any other measure. This is exactly the same phenomenon that we've seen historically time after time in countries that we might describe as banana republics, but for the first time, we might see it happen with major currencies. So in other words, once this cycle begins, it is self-feeding because there are two choices. You have a deflationary collapse, or you continue to create currency, which leads to more consumer price inflation. So I believe that we're going to see the Fed reverse course on the taper at some point in the near future. Now, if you've not yet taken steps to protect yourself, I'd like to invite you to get a free resource. The Revenue Sourcing Book is available for free. All you have to do is visit myrevenuesourcingbook.com. The website, again, is myrevenuesourcingbook.com. And if you go there and let me know where to mail the book, I'll be glad to give you a copy of the book, and I'll be glad to send some bonus information along with it as well. It is free and without any further obligation. The website again, myrevenuesourcingbook.com. I'll be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is returning guest, Mr. John Rubino. If you are not a regular visitor to uh, John's rather robust website, I'd encourage you to check it out. It's dollarcollapse.com. 
John posts his uh, articles there, and he has a terrific section there with links that he updates, uh, I'm guessing, multiple times a day titled Breaking News, Best of the Web, a great place to get economic news. And again, the website, dollarcollapse.com. And John, welcome back to the program. Hey, Dennis. Good to be back. So, John, let's start by talking about um, Fed policy. The Federal Reserve said that they are now going to taper, um, in other words, not create $15 billion a month. Do they get that from $120 billion to zero, in your opinion? <laughs> no, I, I don't even think they'll get what they're, they're trying for now. Uh, but <laughs> it, it should, should be noted that this is kind of a, a capitulation on the part of the Fed, because they were expected to do a more aggressive tapering. In other words, they were expected to scale back the amount of new currency they're creating and dumping into the market more quickly than they are. And they were expected to announce um, at least concrete plans for higher interest rates. They didn't do that at all. Um, And that's why the financial markets are kind of rocking right now, right? Stocks are up and... um, um, cryptocurrencies are soaring and gold and silver. Are up. So pretty much everything is, is going up now because all of a sudden the market's got more money than they expected to get going forward from the Fed. Um, and the reason that the Fed is being um, so cautious about this is that even though, you know, there's inflation and stuff now and, and low unemployment and the economy seems to be growing, but the real fear that these guys have is the opposite the gigantic deflationary crash brought about by all the bad debt that's been created in the past few decades blowing up. And, uh, you know, an example of what they're afraid of is happening in China right now, where, uh, you know, China did what we did. They, they created absolutely insane amounts of new currency and, and financed a bunch of bubbles. And their biggest bubble was real estate. Um, something like 75% of China's household assets, in other words, the stuff that regular people own in China, is tied up in real estate. Um, and now their big real estate developers are starting to go bankrupt. And that's threatening to pull down the whole show, you know. And, and so everybody's watching China with, um, with extreme concern. And the Fed is worried about something like that happening in the U.S. For instance, if they tried to raise interest rates, that would blow up our real estate sector or, you know, make consumers so much less rich that they uh, they stop buying and then retailing blows up. Any, any number of things could happen in the U.S. is similar to what's happening in China. And the Fed doesn't want to chance it because once something like that gets going, it, it could very easily spin out of control with, you know, somebody big going bankrupt and stiffing all their creditors and then the creditors going bankrupt and stiffing their creditors and so on. Um, so the Fed is in this um, very tricky place right now where there's, you know, there's inflation that they should be trying to control. But there's all this bad debt that they're terrified of blowing up. And, uh, you know, I think we're at the point where there is no solution now. There's only a choice of crises. And the Fed has to make that choice pretty soon. And I, I don't envy them because neither one of the, uh, the possibilities would be fun to preside over if you're um, the, the central bank of a country. But they have to choose one. Well, John, when you take a look at debt, uh, just this past week I, I, I read an article that student loan debt's at all-time highs, uh, auto debt's at all-time highs, mortgage debt is up there. 
Uh, mortgage debt is, is of, of low quality. Again, a lot of it is like it was uh, back at the time of the financial crisis. And I thought it was telling that uh, credit card debt now, credit card usage was up, I think it was 23% year over year particularly among lower income households. And it just seemed to me that that's a pretty good indicator that inflation is really starting to pinch the lower income earners. Is that a fair observation in your view? Uh, yeah, the uh, lower income people ran through all their stimulus benefits and are now having to borrow to make ends meet. And, and you know, a big part of that, you're right, is the fact that the price of basic stuff is way up lately. You know, if you go to Costco or someplace like that, uh, they might be out of toilet paper or it might be more expensive or you might get less for the same price. Same thing with lots of other products that, uh, that regular people buy day to day. And the lower your income, the bigger proportion of your income usually goes to basics, which is, by the way, why the emerging markets like Brazil and Chile and Thailand are so much more worried about what's happening out there than, for instance, the U.S. is, because more of their people is in that are in that spot, right, where most of their money already goes to food, shelter, and gasoline. And if you make those things more expensive, it taps out a lot of people and forces them to choose between those three things, right? They got to get rid of one in order to afford the other two. And um, historically, that leads to civil unrest, which leads to regime change. Um, so. You know, inflation is a big problem for us, but it's a much bigger problem in the rest of the world or in big parts of the rest of the world. So wherever you look, what's happening right now is extremely threatening to somebody. And uh, it, that, that kind of threat is widespread enough that, uh, that we're talking global crisis next time, not just uh, a, company, a country specific crisis when something goes wrong. So we could be in the middle of something very big and very scary in the next few years that, uh, that there is no solution for. Well, if you're just joining us, we are chatting today with Mr. John Rubino. I'd encourage you to check out his website at dollarcollapse.com. And John, let's go back for a minute, if we could, and just revisit the comment that you made that the Fed really has a choice to make here. They continue to create currency and risk a hyperinflationary currency collapse, those are my words, not yours, or uh, they, they taper and this, this debt bubble implodes and we, we get into this deflationary environment. Um, historically speaking, don't, don't they always take the uh, currency creation and we end up with the uh, deflationary collapse anyway? That's what they choose historically because um, that's the thing that, um, you know, inflation is something that is always kind of out there in the future somewhere until it really starts raging. But a debt collapse is immediate. It's like 2008, 2009, it got away from them and everything fell apart in the space of just a few months, right? The housing bubble burst and Wall Street went bust and the big banks were going to go bankrupt unless we, we handed them trillions of new dollars. And we, we ended up doing that, unfortunately. Um, and, and so, Given a choice in the moment, governments will always choose to try to kick the, road, uh, kick the can down the road a little further by creating a bunch of new money and handing it to people and hoping that that gets through the next election cycle or you know, the next corporate earnings reporting cycle or whatever, uh, because you know, at least that's a few months or maybe a year or two you know, in which you can maybe retire rich and famous if you're uh, one of today's politicians and then hand the problem off to your successor. 
But if it collapses on your watch, uh, then you're Her the Herbert Hoover of this generation. You know, he was the guy who presided over the start of the Great Depression. And we still remember his name, right? As, as somebody who um, was a really <laughs> bad president. Nobody wants to be this generation's Herbert Hoover. So they will always choose inflation over um, a deflationary debt collapse. So that's what they're doing right now. You know, they, they really should be reigning in inflation, but instead they're, they're still financing it. You know, they're still um, putting out enough money to raise the rate of inflation. In other words, to raise the um, trajectory of the dollar going down. It, may, it makes the dollar fall faster in value when you create more and more money. And the Fed is still doing that because... Um, the problems that, uh, that flow from that are a few years in the future, maybe. But the problems that would flow from raising interest rates would be right here and now, would happen this year. You know, if they raise interest rates back to normal levels, um, which is 3 or 4 or 5% instead of, you know, 0 or 1%, half the country would go bankrupt this week. <laughs> so um, they know they can't do that. Um, so they're not doing that. They're doing the other thing. And the other thing will lead to um, accelerating inflation. Um, and, uh, you know, you can see it in the labor market, which is probably something we should talk about in, in more detail, because this is one of the tightest labor markets. In other words, employers are having the most trouble finding new workers than almost ever before, which is a very big deal. Yeah, and I'd love to talk about that with you in the next segment. Um, you know, in the time we have left in this segment, John, we've got uh, uh, about two and a half minutes left here. Um, what, what's John Rabino's forecast for inflation moving ahead? And, you know, at what point does this transition to a deflationary collapse or, 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 or does it? How do you see this playing out based on what you see now? Well, the inflation that we're seeing right now, in other words, rising prices, will continue until interest rates go up. And once interest rates start going up, which is normally how it works in an inflationary environment, because uh, the interest rate is basically the, the reward that you get for lending money out. And if you're going to be paid back in, a, in dollars that are getting less and less valuable, you want a bigger reward. You want a higher interest rate to offset your risk. So interest rates go up in an inflationary environment. And when they start to go up, beyond a certain point, that will blow up the uh, heavily embedded part of the economy and give us that deflationary crash. So watch interest rates. That'll tell you which way, which way things are going in the not-too-distant future. Well, I'm chatting today with Mr. John Rubino. His website is dollarcollapse.com. I'd encourage you to check out the website. John's articles are posted there as well as uh, a place I go very frequently several times a week for news. That's uh, breaking news, best of the web that John updates constantly. Again, the website is dollarcollapse.com. I'll continue my conversation with Mr. John Rubino when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting today with uh, Mr. John Rubino. Uh, John's website is dollarcollapse.com. He is a prolific writer. His articles are posted there, and uh, he's also got a terrific section on the website titled Breaking News, Best of the Web, that will give you links to uh, uh, all, the, uh, all the highlights of the economic, financial, and some off-topic news as well. So uh, check that out. John, uh, you put a piece up, um, just a... a uh, yesterday, I guess, as we're recording this on Monday the 8th, um, talking about the tightest labor, labor market in living memory, and that's uh, part of the headline from your article. Um, there are lots of employers, 
looking for uh, employees. Um, the labor force participation rate is um, quite low uh, from an historical uh, perspective. Um, how did we get here? What's causing this? Well, that's something econom economists are arguing about because nobody really expected there to be a shortage of workers a, a year after a really bad recession. You know, the, um, the pandemic and the related lockdowns just shut the economy down during most of 2020. And here we are in 2021, um, and things seem to be booming, um, and employers just can't find enough workers. And the reasons for that are apparently many. <laughs> and economists are arguing about it. But uh, what, what's happening with a lot of companies is, I mean, it's ominous on the one hand, but it's also kind of funny because a lot of these companies are so desperate for workers that they're doing things they never thought they would do. Like they're, they're doing away with drug tests and, and checking the, uh, the educational credentials of the people they hire and calling references and, and uh, asking for a certain level of education. You know, they're, they're throwing all of that out, out the window and just saying, look, if you want to, you know, want us to train you to do this job, come on in and we'll train you and, and, uh, and you can start right away. And, and there were a couple of stories that were, um, you know, funny, I guess you'd have to say, in, in the Wall Street Journal article that just came out on this. And one is that um, UPS used to take two weeks to hire people. That was how long the process took, so the interviews and checking background and everything. And now it's 30 minutes. You know, you, you fill out a little form online, you have a quick phone call with them, and they say, okay, um, you can start on Tuesday, here's the address, this is where you go. Uh, because they know that if they wait, somebody else will snap up that candidate. So they don't bother checking your background or making sure you actually have the education or anything. Uh, one other story that was funny was a, a guy who's accused of murder but was not indicted. He got out, but he was worried that that would create problems for his job search, but it didn't. He got hired right away uh, by a big company, and uh, but he, he in their warehouse. He didn't do a very good job, and they fired him shortly after that. But then lately, they just called him up and said, hey, do you want to come back in? Because they're so desperate. They'll take people they've even fired before. Um, so that's what the job market is like out there, which means wages are going to have to go up dramatically, right? Because uh, if you're that desperate for workers, one of the things you do, besides not caring about you know drugs or education levels or anything, uh, is you pay more. So we're going to see wages go up dramatically in the year ahead, which generates something called wage inflation, which is a kind of inflation. In other words, rapidly rising compensation out there for workers that the Fed considers to be real dangerous inflation. Like they don't, they don't care if stocks, bonds, and real estate go up in price because uh, that basically is just stuff that the rich people own and it's good because you know, the rich get richer. Uh, but when workers start making dramatically more money, that scares the monetary authorities. And see, that's gonna put pressure on them to raise interest rates because that kind of inflation is considered to be destabilizing. But like we already talked about, they can't raise interest rates. <laughs> So they're stuck watching this thing happen um, that they know they have to do something about, but they know they can't do anything about. And so it's kind of like watching a slow motion train wreck. If this continues, if wage inflation continues and, and creeps up towards double digit levels, like eight or nine percent, um, then that w might cause interest rates to spike despite the Fed's best effort to hold them down. And then you get all these 
you know, these crazy economic scenarios of everybody going bankrupt and or inflation spiking and the stock market tanking or lots of things like that can happen because of the, the destabilizing effects of rising interest rates and accelerating inflation. So that could be happening and the Fed will have no tools for dealing with it. Uh, so then the question becomes, what happens when everybody realizes that there's no adult supervision out there? There is nobody with <laughs> the, the tools or the knowledge to stop all of these um, you know, these dysfunctional trends that are picking up steam. Uh, and then I think the markets will panic. And that's, um, there's a thing in the Austrian School of Economics called the crack-up boom, which is a point at which everybody just gives up on the currency and everything spins out of control. We could be headed for something like that if the whole wage thing continues along its current course. Well, John, I want to go back and just uh, point out to the listeners that uh, you co-authored a book, and uh, you, you you can I think the year was maybe uh, you know 2011, 12. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was titled "The Money Bubble," and it just seems to me that a lot of the conditions that you forecast in that book. Uh, you know, it, it's turned out to be very prophetic. We seem to be heading down the very road that you outlined in that book. Can you comment? Yeah, that book was very early, obviously. But a lot of the things that uh, that it predicted are actually coming true now, you know, because um, um, massive amounts of government money creation leading to inflation, leading to higher interest rates, leading to some kind of a gigantic financial crisis. Uh, we're kind of halfway into that process now with massive amounts of new money causing inflation. So now let's see what happens after that. If it causes higher interest rates, then, then we're basically there. We're in the bursting of the money bubble, or uh, as a lot of people call it now, the everything bubble, because so many different parts of the economy are wildly overvalued and wildly overleveraged that it won't be just one thing this time, like housing last time around. That's what blew up and it almost um, destroyed the global economy. That was just one sector in one country. Um, this time around, it's pretty much everywhere you look. You know, government bonds all over the world, um, uh, blue chip stocks pretty much everywhere. Um, many, many other things um, are, you know, in the kind of bubble territory that makes them super fragile and very dangerous. Uh, so when this thing goes, it won't just be a sector-specific crisis. It'll be pretty much everywhere you look. And that was the prediction of the money bubble, you know, and uh, it's part way to coming true and could very easily um, completely come through in the next couple of years. So, John, when when you when you take a look at um, interest rates, I think we have listeners out there that say, well, wait a minute, the Fed controls interest rates. They set interest rates. For our average listener out there just thinking about, hey, I'd just like to retire someday. I'd like to be you know, have some level of financial independence. Can, can you explain you know, how the Fed could lose control of interest rates? Well, the, the bond markets are where interest rates are, are the main factor. And they're much bigger than the world stock markets. Okay? They're, they're gigantic markets with all kinds of private sector players in it. So, if people in the private sector, say you and me, um, along with the big money managers out there, decide they do not want to play anymore, they just take the money and leave the bond market, which means bond prices crash and interest rates go up. Okay, that would be the, the result of that. And so the central banks of the world, the Fed and the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan, 
would then probably step in and try to stabilize things. But um, there is so much money in the bond markets out there that they would have to create so much new currency in order to keep interest rates from going up. In other words, to support the bond markets, that all that new money that they're creating would make the value of the currencies go down. In other words, if we create 50 trillion new dollars, each individual dollar becomes less valuable because there are so many dollars out there, right? So they might attempt to stabilize the bond market, but the result would be even more inflation, even faster price increases, and that would make the problem worse. So you hit a point where anything you do to fix one thing makes this other thing much, much worse, which then feeds back into the thing you were trying to fix. So I hope that's um, understandable to at least a few listeners. But anyhow, the, the point is that um, they're going to lose control <laughs> at some point. And so where, where they used to be able to control interest rates, they won't be able to anymore. And then that's a huge phase change in the psychology of the market when, when everybody realizes that they're on their own, that the government can't save them. So, John, at, at some point in the future, uh, don't you think that gold and silver prices will have to reflect what's going on? And I'd like your take on, you know, to this point, why they haven't, uh, you know, the prices haven't risen as, uh, as uh, intensely as we might have expected. Well, yeah, gold and silver, see, things like this have happened historically um, over and over again. Going all the way back to the Roman Empire, we've made these kinds of mistakes. And every single time, gold and silver, which are forms of money that governments can't make more of, you know, you can't just make gold and silver out of thin air. You've got to just dig it out of the ground, and that's very hard. So the supply of them stays fairly stable, and therefore they tend to hold their value while everything else is spinning out of control. Um, that'll happen again this time. But probably why it hasn't happened yet is that people aren't convinced that uh, the bad times are coming. They're seeing all this new money that's being created by governments flow into stocks and cryptocurrencies and houses and, and things like that. And, you know, a lot of that makes people feel like things are okay. So they don't really feel the need for what's called a safe haven asset, someplace where you hide out from, you know, monetary insanity. Um, but once interest rates start to rise, or some other aspect of the financial markets start to spin visibly out of control, you know, and, and rising inflation, you know, rising prices of most things that people buy could do that. Uh, once that becomes kind of um, conventional wisdom and everybody just accepts that we're in a really inflationary environment, then they'll start looking around for what protects them. And gold and silver will be on that list. It's a very short list. Gold and silver will be there. And tons of money will flow into that sector. And that's, again, that's what happens when the cycle hits that point. You know, it happened in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, in the last, when gold went from a few hundred bucks an ounce to, um, I think, $1,900 an ounce at the peak. And silver went from a few dollars an ounce $50 an ounce. But it happened mostly towards the end when everybody finally came around to accepting that uh, the, the system was spinning out of control. Um, same thing in the, um, the 1970s when we had a giant currency crisis. So towards the end of the, um, the cycle is when you get the big moves in precious metals. 
And so those have yet to come, but they will come. And, and when they do, see, here's the problem with uh, trying to time something like that. Uh, it, it's that when you finally come around and decide, all right, I'm going to sell my tech stocks and I'm going to get into gold and silver, there won't be any gold and silver to get. You know, it'll just evaporate because there, there really isn't that much precious metals out there. And once a significant number of people decide they want it, it disappears. They buy up all the available physical gold and silver, and you just can't get it. So you kind of have to be a little bit early with something like that, where you accept that, all right, I'm getting into this now, and maybe that means Tesla will go up further and I'll miss that, or Bitcoin will go up a little more and I'll miss that, but, but I'll be protected. And then you'll be very glad you did when the later part of the cycle happens and everybody's trying to buy gold and silver and they can't get it, but you have it, you know, and it's much, much more valuable than it was when you bought it. So that, that's kind of the dynamic there. And that's a very good reason to be buying gold and silver now um, in anticipation of the, you know, the future stages in this play, which we've seen so many times in human history and has always played out the same way. Well, that's a terrific explanation, and uh, the clock says we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. John Rubino. I'd encourage you to check out his website at dollarcollapse.com. He's got a terrific uh, section titled Breaking News, Best of the Web, where I go to get a lot of news. And, uh, John, always appreciate having you on the program and appreciate uh, your terrific work on the website, and I'd love to have you back down the road. Thanks, Dennis. Sounds good. We will return after these words. Welcome back to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to my special guest today, Mr. John Rabino, for joining me on today's program. You know, as I mentioned in the first segment of today's program, the Federal Reserve is a private entity. It's a private group of bankers. And if you're a longtime listener to the program, you know that I am fond of quoting one of the founding fathers, President Thomas Jefferson, on this very topic. Mr. Jefferson said this, quote, If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the very continent their fathers conquered. Mr. Jefferson warned us that currency creation would lead to a boom and bust cycle. He said first by inflation, then by deflation. So we are doing today precisely what Mr. Jefferson told us not to do. Now, in 1913, the Federal Reserve was born. However, this has, the Federal Reserve is the country's third central bank. So in 1913, the politicians gave private bankers the control to issue currency. 1913, as a side note, was a bad year in my view. Not only did we get the Federal Reserve, we also got the income tax. Well, shortly after the Federal Reserve was formed, the private bankers controlling monetary policy decided that, you know, the U.S. dollar doesn't need to be backed by gold completely. At that time... The dollar was backed by gold, 100%. Gold was $20 an ounce, and it had stayed at that price, really, for nearly 100 years. Well, the Federal Reserve 
decided that they would back the dollar by gold at a rate of 40%, not 100%. If you're a mathematician, you know that that meant the currency supply expanded by 250%, which was essentially creating currency out of thin air. And what happened? There was a period of time known as the Roaring Twenties when the money supply expanded and there was inflation. And then we went into the bust phase of the cycle, as Mr. Jefferson warned us we would do, and the Great Depression hit. See, this boom and bust cycle has repeated itself time and time again throughout history whenever currency is created. It happened in the Roman Empire, and it's happening again now. The reason is that politicians and policymakers, when faced with a difficult financial decision, balancing a budget, or creating currency to paper over financial problems and developing rhetoric that says deficits don't matter, always pick the latter. So this whole idea of creating currency creates also a series of boom and bust cycles that continue to repeat until confidence is ultimately lost in the currency. And at that point, a reset has to occur. Now, the world today is radically different than at any time this cycle, this boom and bust cycle, has manifested itself in the past. Presently, every currency in the world is a fiat currency, which means there's no backing of any world currency by anything tangible like gold or silver. This is the first time in recorded monetary history that we've been at the end of this historical cycle with zero currencies, with no currencies that have a link to something tangible. The last world currency to eliminate the link to gold was the Swiss franc in 2000. Prior to that date, the Swiss franc was backed 40% by gold, just like the U.S. dollar was at about the time of World War I. That means that now every world central bank can create currency. And this has, in my view, allowed the present bubble to reach levels never before seen. So how does this affect you? Well, I'd like to share with you a quote by Albert Einstein, who I think we can all agree was a pretty bright guy. Mr. Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. To paraphrase another saying, you have to think outside the box. But you have two very real risks moving forward, in my view, and I believe you need to address them. One, the massive levels of currency creation will create more inflation, perhaps even hyperinflation, which could, ironically, be the pin that pops the bubble. And two, a bust may devastate the value of your assets. And that's where revenue sourcing comes in. And I'd like to invite you to get a copy of the book if you've not yet done so. The revenue sourcing strategy is outlined in the book, and I'd be glad to send you a complimentary copy. If you'll just visit myrevenuesourcingbook.com, I'll be glad to do that. Just let me know where to mail the book, as well as the bonus information, and we will send that out to you at no cost and with no future obligation. The website, again, myrevenuesourcingbook.com. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.